On this week's episode of the Players Experience Podcast, we chat with TSN broadcasting legend, the Bob father himself, Bob McKenzie. We chat with Bob about his journey through sport, getting into TSN, what it's been like to cover so many different events from World Juniors, the Olympics, the NHL trade deadlines, and the Stanley Cup playoffs, and so much more. Uh, Bob shares what it's been like to report for Sand on those events. Before we bring Bob onto the show, we of course would like to give a shout out to our production team, Jay Salty Photography and Vic Mar Productions for their work that you see each and every week with the video productions and the images that are put out on our Instagram and YouTube pages. So go check them out as well on Instagram. We also want to give a shout out to 19 Marketing for their work on our production with our merchandise. Uh, so remember guys, hats and t-shirts are now available and up on our Instagram page. So hit me up if you would like to buy some merch to represent the player's experience. Of course, we want you guys to get some more discounts. So use the player's experience code with the Jaywalk, Hush Blankets, and the Great North Apparel to be able to get some discount codes with those folks on some great merchandise there. And guys, if you haven't already done it, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to the channel now so you don't miss any upcoming episodes with some new and exciting content each and every week as we chat with more and more professional athletes, sport reporters, and individuals in sport on episodes you won't want to miss out. So now, without further ado, let's bring Bob on and start talking about his career and how it all got started with Ryerson and what his favorite um, sport moment was to cover throughout his career. Bob McKenzie, how are you, sir? Excellent. How are you doing, Ryan? Good. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. How uh, have things been? How was the trip from Florida recently to come back up to, to Canada? Yeah, we, uh, in order to get back in um, without having to uh, go to the extraordinary measures of having to be quarantined in a hotel for three days at the airport, um, I, I drove home. And it was always part of the plan because we, in the last year or two, we purchased a, a place in Florida now that I'm semi-retired, my wife and I, and uh, we were able to go down there in January. And um, it allowed me to do a couple of things. One, enjoy semi-retirement, but also I still had the final year on my contract with NBC, NHL on NBC. And so because I was living in the States, I had the ability to fly from um, Southwest Florida to the greater New York area and go to Stanford, Connecticut in studio for 10 straight weeks. So that was um, helpful to be able to do that and brings back a, a degree of normalcy, uh, getting on airplanes as many times as I did. Um, didn't love the idea of flying during a pandemic, but um, it, uh, it still felt pretty good to do your job, if, if that makes any sense. And also you know, winter in a pretty warm climate where I got to play some golf and, and have some outdoor fun in a relatively safe environment. So it worked out very well and uh, recently drove home and uh, across the border and I'm uh, in the midst of uh, quarantining right now. So, Well, that's great. I, I, the most important thing is that you and your wife are safe, you're healthy, and uh, 
And also, too, your golf game improved a little bit. So you, you know, you, now, now that the warmer weather is coming up here, now you'll be you'll be in prime golfing shape for uh, when you're good to go. Yeah, May first. It looks like the golf course where I golf a lot of Wooden Sticks and Uxbridge is uh, going to be open. So I'm very much looking forward to that. That's awesome. Um, so I'd like to start off every episode with a segment called rapid fire. So I'm going to just ask you four rapid fire questions. Uh, and it's just first thing that comes to mind, just shoot them out. So favorite time of day. Oh, a, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm already stumped rap to get stumped on rapid fire. That's really embarrassing. I, no. I wouldn't say it's the morning, but it probably is just because the promise of the day is still there. Okay, okay. And don't worry, you're not the only one that gets stumped on these fire, <laughs> so don't feel too bad. Uh, strangest thing in your fridge? Strangest thing in my fridge? Boy, I don't even look in the fridge that often. Um, hmm, 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 hmm. Man, now you stumped me on number two already. I'm uh, worst guest effort. No, no, no. It's okay. We can, we can move past I feel, I, the fridge is just over there. I feel like I should run over and look and see if there's something in there that, uh, that looks particularly bad. Uh, it's okay. We'll, we'll skip past that one. It's all good. Uh, TV show you're currently watching? Uh, City on the Hill. Um, season one came out a couple of years ago. It's on Amazon Prime. It stars Kevin Bacon. Uh, it's a police, a copper drama out of, uh, out of Boston. And uh, the first episode, the first season was finished, I think, two years ago, 2019. And uh, so episode one of season two dropped this past Sunday. And I'm looking forward to the coming Sunday to see episode two. That's awesome. Uh, it's always great when a new TV show or like an old TV show drops and you're able right. to reminisce. And, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, and a sport you would want to compete in. Oh, I guess I should say hockey, shouldn't I? Um, but it's funny when I was a, when I was a kid growing up in Scarborough, Ontario. My my dad's from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and so we, you know, soccer or as the Europeans would call it, football, um, was pretty big in our house, and as was hockey. But I used to watch the um, the FA Cup um, in uh, from oftentimes Wembley Stadium, and and I'd see the the winning team would go up and into the stands and meet the queen um, after winning the championship and they'd hold the plate up and, and that, and it's funny because when I was a kid, I used to dream of maybe being that. So maybe my, my secret uh, untapped desire was to, uh, to be a, a, a premiership uh, football player. Now, leading into that, how did you know that you wanted to become a sports broadcaster and that would be something we want to make a career out of? I never knew I wanted to become a sports broadcaster. In fact, when I was in, I'm so old, I went to grade 13. There was still a grade 13 in Ontario when I graduated high school in 1975. Even as I was graduating that year, I wasn't really sure what the hell I wanted to do. Um, other than I knew it was probably going to be in some way communications. Um, because anything I did at school, uh, math, not a chance. Science, not a chance. Do not have a math gene, do not have a science gene, cannot fathom any of that. So for me, it was always about communication. So, you know, for me, I, I, I used to do well writing essays and, and what have you. So I thought writing the written word might be something that would be in my wheelhouse. And I kind of thought about journalism, 
but I still wasn't fully committed to it in grade 13. And so instead of going to, I, I thought about applying to go to Ryerson's journalism school. Instead of doing that, I went to, uh, I, I applied to Wilfrid Laurier and uh, took honors English. Um, and I got there and I realized very quickly, uh, this isn't, this is too general for me. It's, I'm not enjoying it. I think I lasted six weeks and I shut it down and then reapplied for Ryerson for the next year. So that's probably when I decided that I wanted to go into media. I knew that I wanted to be a sports reporter and more, more detailed and more specific than just being a sports reporter. I knew I wanted to be a hockey writer. My goal was to be, to, to be a beat writer in the National Hockey League covering the Toronto Maple Leafs for one of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Sun, or the Toronto Globe and Mail. That was all my, my entire focus um, as I went through Ryerson and graduating was to do that. And, um, and so, yeah, that was what I was targeting for. I never, ever set out to be on television. I never envisioned being a broadcaster. I just wanted to be a hockey writer and reporter. Now, don't worry about feeling too old with grade 13, because when I graduated high school in 2008, there was still a grade 13 option. They just call it an uh, extra year, a leap year now. So, uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's still around, so don't worry. Now, after you uh, took a job, or sorry, after you went to school at Ryerson, you were offered a position as editor-in-chief of the Hockey News, where you stayed there until joining the Toronto Star in 1998. What was the journey like for you to get your foot in the door and begin making a name for yourself in sport media and kind of reaching that goal that you just said that you wanted to start writing for the Toronto Star? Yeah, so um, the, the first job I got was um, in between Ryerson after I graduated, or actually the summer of between my second and third year at Ryerson, I got a summer job at the Sioux Star in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And then when I graduated, I got a full-time job at the Sioux Star and uh, in April of 79, as I graduated. And um, I, I worked there for the better part of two years before I came back to Toronto and worked some freelance and, and did some stuff work part-time at the Globe and Mail. Did a lot of freelance writing for the Hockey News for the Globe and Mail, um, a junior hockey magazine as well. And, and then I was very fortunate to be hired as the editor-in-chief of the Hockey News in June of 1982. I was only 25 years old, going on 26. And it was unbelievable that somebody at that age could get that job, but it just was a little bit of serendipity in terms of I was doing a lot of freelance work for them. I had some of the skill sets that they needed in terms of my experience at the Sioux Star allowed me to um, do a lot of editing and organizing of the sports section. And so they weren't just looking for somebody to write and report, they were looking for somebody that knew how to lay out pages, that could edit a copy and do a lot of the technical stuff regarding um, putting a newspaper together. So that kind of paved the way for me to get the job as editor-in-chief of the Hockey News and everything kind of blossomed from there. So I was editor-in-chief of the Hockey News from 1982 to 1991. And then I went to the Star and uh, became the hockey columnist. And then it was while I was at the Hockey News in the mid to late 80s, um, I started to do a little bit of stuff with TSN. The Hockey News bought a show a uh, half-hour show on TSN called the Hockey News Television Edition. And um, part of the requirement was that the editor-in-chief, me, got to be on this show for about 90 seconds a week. So Jim Van Horn, with his mustache, used to interview me about whatever was going on in hockey that week, and that was the show, the Hockey News TV Edition. And I guess I was passable enough on that show that TSN would then ask me to maybe come in and fill time. They had 
on Monday nights, they do an NHL game and the game would be over. It would start at 730. It would be over by 10 o'clock. They had to fill to 11. So I used to do some post-game stuff on those NHL games and spice in here and there. And it just kind of started to grow and grow and grow um, until I got to the 1990s. And basically I had two full-time jobs, one at the Toronto Star and one at TSN. And that's great. And it, honestly, kudos to you because I've had like one full-time job and a couple part-time jobs and like going from one to the other, man, it's, it's, it gets really hectic. So kudos to you for, for uh, people. Thanks. Well, when I, when I was at the hockey news, one of the guys there called me two job Bob. So <laughs> how many nicknames have you had throughout your career? Oh, I've had a, I've had a lot of nicknames. So my, my mom and dad always called me Bobby. They're pretty straightforward. Um, I don't think I had a nickname as a kid until I got to high school. And um, some of the guys that I hung around with in high school, they just called me Ken's, which is typical guys. You know, how do you get a nickname? Well, let, I, the name's McKenzie, so let's knock off MC and let's knock off IE and we'll just call him Ken. So a lot, I got called Ken's a lot during high school and, um, and uh, that was that. The, the next nickname I got would have been when I went to Ryerson. And the guys that I hung around with there, um, the, the nickname is Smoker. And, and that was a derivative of boxing was very big. And it was on, it, boxing was very big in the late 70s. And it was very big so much so that it was on regular television. It wasn't on pay-per-view. It, you know, it, it, you, you could just turn on network television and you could, you know, you'd see all the, the heavyweight fights were on there and, and that. So when we were in Ryerson, they had a, one of the guys there had a, an apartment on Sherburn street near shooter. And we would go over to his place to watch fights and of course have a few drinks. And he had a big, he had a dining room that overlooked the sunken living room. And the dining room was about the size of a boxing ring, but there was no table in it. And the guy whose place it was, he used to box in Montreal. So he had a couple of pairs of boxing gloves. So we'd get somewhat lubricated and watch the fights. And then when the fights were over, we would throw the boxing gloves on and joke around and spar and stuff. And so this guy was a pretty good fighter. I was sparring with him and he, he poked me, he jabbed me pretty hard a couple of times and I kind of snapped and I, I couldn't fight. I couldn't fight my way out of a wet paper bag, but I basically windmilled him, fell on top of him and pounded him. And so they were calling me smoking Bob McKenzie for a while. And then they changed it to smoker. So there's still a bunch of people who, if they see me or email me, they'll say, Hey, smoker, how are you doing? So that was my, that was my Ryerson nickname. Um, after that, Oh God, uh, in Sault Ste. Marie at the Sioux star, a couple of people there called me Hawk because somebody who worked at the radio station said, you watch that guy like a Hawk because he'll steal all your stories. Um, and, uh, he'll get all the stories on you. So there was that. And, and then as time went on, I mean, Bobby Mack, um, you know, Bob and Doug McKenzie was a big thing. So for the longest time, there's a whole bunch of people in media, old time hockey writers, and all they ever call me now, even now is Hoser. So, you know, take your pick uh, from any of those. And, uh, and now recently, you know, you got the insider, you get the Bob father, um, Bobby Margarita, which is kind of a joke thing that started about five or six years ago. Um, so there's no shortage of nicknames, that's for sure. That's awesome. I know through through myself, like there's similar similar traits in in sense of like throughout different uh, avenues or different events, I've I've had a few names like Cool Picks and 
and brick and they when i played sports i when i played ball hockey it was always hard to get past me so they called me brick house or brick um i went out with my boss for uh we were running an event for special olympics and we went to this like little ma pa breakfast spot it was called the breakfast pig so i i took a photo of the the mug that said that i'm like i made a joke with my buddy i'm like I shall now only be referenced to this. And that was the number one mistake I did because every time they see me now, they're like, yo, what's up breakfast pig. So (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. Now, uh, talking about your time with TSN, you joined the team at TSN in 2000 as the hockey insider. And as part of the hockey insider, you've been able to cover a number of different events from world juniors, the NHL drafts, the trade deadlines, free agency, and of course, just hop everything off six Olympic winter games. Where did the passion for hockey come for you? It's a good question. I, you know, the, I guess the easy answer would be if you're a kid growing up in metropolitan Toronto, in my case, Scarborough in the 1960s, how could you not be a hockey fan? I can just remember from the earliest age, you know, um, going out and playing road hockey with my friends, um, going up to Bendale Public School, and they, they had an outdoor skating rink there. Um, and uh, there was a fireman, I believe, who whose house backed onto the school. And he used to get a fire hose and attach it to the fire hydrant and run it out the back into the, the schoolyard, and he would flood, flood it. And we had a terrific rink there, so we would spend hours and hours and hours all day long, Saturday and Sunday, literally eight, 10 hours a day um, skating out there. So I just had a natural and, you know, obvious passion for playing hockey. And if you were a kid growing up in the sixties in Toronto, I mean, the Leafs were huge. Um, And the, that's when they actually won Stanley cups on a regular basis. And so I'm old enough to obviously remember the, the, the 60, all the Leaf cups in the sixties, especially 67, the last one. And um, I just, Grew to love the game, and, and it was always my, my passion. Well, hopefully we'll be able to see another couple of Stanley Cups uh, in Toronto sooner rather than later, because uh, it's been quite a drought. So um, Now, you've been, you have three sons who all played hockey, and your one son, Mike, who now coaches the Kitchener Rangers. Being a hockey fan growing up and then um, being a hockey household, what was it like for you to instill hockey into your family and see your kids succeed at the sport? Yeah, yeah, I guess there's always that argument of nature versus nurture, you know, environment versus, uh, um, you know, genetics or whatever. But I don't think I ever purposely went out of my way um, to think that my kids would be involved in hockey or in, in the business that I'm in. Um, and, and yet, I suppose they, they both my boys, Mike and Sean, um, they also had an incredible passion for the game. My, Mike was right from the get-go when he was four or five years old, was just so dedicated and so serious and passionate about hockey. My other son, Sean, he he loved it, but he loved a whole bunch of things. And he was a little, he was wired a lot differently than than Mike. He was a probably a lot more, you know, fun loving and scattered and all over the place. And, uh, you know, he was the kid when he'd skate out on the ice, we'd be looking up at the lights and while the game was on waving at us in the stands where Mike would be so like determined and focused. He wanted to score a goal and he wanted to excel and wanted to win and very competitive. And Sean was a little more casual at the younger ages. Um, but they were both around the game a lot. Um, 
you know, they, they went to World Junior Championships, Stanley Cup Finals. Um, they, they were part of my life growing up. And so I guess it's not unusual that they both developed an affinity for it. Um, and it, it's funny because Mike was always, Mike, I don't think he was ever hung up on the media side of things. It was just hockey to him. Whereas Sean, once he especially got into the teenage years, I think he started to look at what I did as, well, you know what? I like hockey, and I, but I like, I like this whole broadcasting thing and the media and that sense of being on a team and, and what have you. And it was harder for Sean, too, because when he was 13 years old, he had to quit hockey because of concussion-related issues. And so it was a difficult period for him as a teenager because he kind of lost his identity as a hockey player. But I think he... He developed an identity of being around me and the media business associated with hockey. And of course, now he works for Rogers as a rinkside reporter, does Hockey Night in Canada games, uh, covers the Leaf, uh, his host, rinkside host for the, the Leaf package on, uh, on Rogers Sportsnet. Um, so yeah, you know, and it's funny because you, you just want your kids to be happy. And, and as a parent, you also want them off the payroll and hope that they're doing something they love, but also something that pays them well enough that they can, uh, and, you know, move out of the house and get on with their life. Um, and in both cases, that's happened. So I'm, I'm very happy on that. And I won't kid you. I mean, the hockey business can be tough. And my son, Mike, is the head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers. It, it, you know, that's still a pressure cooker environment where you, you have to get results or maybe you're not going to have a job. Um, and same thing in the media business, especially with so much convergence in the media market, media market shrinking and the industry going as badly as it has from an economic point of view, even pandemic aside, but on top of the pan everything with all that and then the pandemic on top of it has made it really difficult. So I'm, I'm happy that they're both employed and working and doing stuff that they love, but I do worry a little bit time from time to time because... Um, it's, uh, it, it can be a, a difficult uh, profession, both of them, but uh, they love it. So uh, they're happy. We're happy. That's great. And you'll have to tell Sean, I've been able to obviously watch his work as well. And uh, it's like father likes son when it comes to reporting. He's, uh, he'll be the next, uh, he'll be the Sean father, I guess, if you will. <laughs> we got to get him a new nickname too. But uh, yeah, he's done some great we, we, I call Sean has a nickname in our family. We call him the luxury consultant. If you need uh, to know how to spend money or, or uh, go out and uh, make a purchase, he does the research for you ahead of time. He'll read all the consumer reports, tell you which item is the best one to get, why the more expensive one is always better. <laughs> um, but uh, no, he's, uh, he's really good at, uh, at that. That's great. And we had a fan question come in asking, out of all the events that you've been to, been able to cover, I know this is going to be a very, probably your most difficult question today, but is there one moment that stands out to you as your favorite to cover in person? Well, I mean, you could easily, the, the, the two, two international hockey events that I probably remember the clearest. See, I'll, I'll take the 1972 Summit Series out of the equation because I didn't cover it. I was just a, kid in Scarborough, um, 16 years old, that uh, watched the game, watched game eight with Henderson scores for Canada with my mom at home. Um, but the 1987 Canada Cup in Hamilton, Gretzky, Lemieux, um, that was 
that, that for me was the pinnacle of hockey um, in my life. Um, I thought it was hockey at a level that it had never been played at. And quite frankly, for, for so many years after that, decades actually, um, nothing ever matched it until 2010 and the Golden Goal in Sidney Crosby in Vancouver, which I was fortunate enough to be about 10 feet behind the glass. We were, TSN was a rights holder um, for that event. And so myself and James Duffy and Darren Pang, Nick Kiprios, because we, we it was a joint venture with Sportsnet, we were sitting in the seat, first row of seats above the Zamboni entrance. So literally 10 rows up from the, from the, the glass where, where Crosby scored the golden goal. So that whole, but the whole 2010 Olympics, I remember watching the games, especially watching Duncan Keith and Drew Doughty on the Canadian defense and the level at which they were playing the game. And I was, I was in awe. And I, I, that was when I realized it was probably the first time. And I'd been to 02 in Salt Lake. I'd been to 98 in Nagano. I'd been to 06 in Torino. But when I was there in 2010, I was looking at the hockey and I said, this is the best hockey I've ever seen since the 1987 Canada Cup. So those two events stand out for me as the pinnacle of the game of hockey being played at its highest level by the best players. Um, in terms of one specific event, I don't, I don't have one, but what I would say is this. Um, I always joke that there's Canadian Thanksgiving in October, there's American Thanksgiving in November, and there was always my Thanksgiving in May or June, late May or early June when game one of the Stanley Cup final would take place. And the first year I was at the Hockey News in 1982, so it would have been the 1983 Cup final. Um, I was at game one of that Cup final in 83. And if I remember correctly, it would have been Edmonton and the New York Islanders. And I remember being there and thinking to myself, man, oh man, I'm, I'm at game one of the Stanley Cup final. And I just shook my head and it was the, the, the crowd was intense and it was fantastic. And so I made a point of every year after that, every year I went to the Stanley Cup final, um, just as the teams would come out onto the ice for game one and they'd get ready. During the national anthem, I always used to call that my Thanksgiving, when I would look around the rink and there was all this excitement of game one in the city where it was being played. And, and that's when I kind of gave silent thanks and marveled a little bit at how lucky and how fortunate I was to have the, the career that I've got. And um, the only years that I wasn't able to do that was in 2005 because we lost a year to the lockout. And then this past year, because A, I was semi-retired on August 10th of last summer, um, I basically stopped covering the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it was in a bubble anyways, and so I wouldn't, wouldn't have been there even if I had been covering it. But um, this year's Stanley Cup is, is going to be the first one, I'm assuming, played with fans somewhere um, that, that I won't have been at, won't have been covering it. And uh, I won't be able to do my, uh, my, my Canadian Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, my Thanksgiving routine uh, before game one. And, and it's crazy to think how, outside of semi-retirement, how even with the bubble and everything, how, how much it's, the sport has changed and being able to properly cover sports now, right? And how, how difficult it is and how it's changed as well. Um, oh, yeah. 
just remarkable the, the advances now throughout your career you have some great accomplishments and i want to i want to just mention some of those accomplishments and, and some of those awards that you've received uh you got the gemini award in 2008 for your coverage for the gold medal game of the world juniors and in 2016 you got uh an award during the canadian screen awards for best sports analyst additional to that you were you were awarded the 2015 Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award and inducted into the Whippy Sport, Sports Hall of Fame <coughs> excuse me, in 2017. What was it like to see all your work and dedication for the sport and for the love of the sport and love of hockey that you've given to be recognized for these uh, fantastic accomplishments? You know, awards are always nice, I guess. Um, it's always, I, I'm honestly, it, it's a little embarrassing at times because when you go for me anyways when you when you get into the media you know you're not doing it to win awards um for me the reward was the job itself every day the sort of the process of doing the job and the people you meet and get to work with the events you get to cover um so i never really thought of it you know these these awards that you get i, I kind of thought it's kind of weird giving awards to people in the media um, and, and yet it's, uh, it's always nice to get recognized. So I, I never put too, too much stock in them. And, um, you know, and I'm, it's not like I'm that humble a guy, but it is a little embarrassing. You know, the, the, um, the, the Elmer Ferguson award is really cool because you get a plaque and it's actually in the hockey hall of fame. So like for a kid that grew up in Scarborough and used to go to the the old hockey hall of fame on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Canadian National Exhibition and CNE grounds um, to, to be able to go into the, the Hall of Fame and go over to the media section. And you're not, you know, and this is a clarification I, I make a lot because people say, oh, you're in the Hockey Hall of Fame. No, I'm not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I won the Elmer Ferguson Award, which is nice recognition from the Professional Hockey Writers Association. And it's, it's recognized by the Hockey Hall of Fame. But getting that award is not the same as being inducted into the hockey hall of fame. Um, and you know, it's kind of, when I, when you, when you get the Elmer Ferguson award, or if you're a broadcaster, the, the Foster Hewitt award, and they have the luncheon, um, you get you this beautiful plaque, a copy of it that also exists in the hockey hall of fame, which as I said, is, is incredibly humbling. Um, but they also give you a jacket, a blazer that looks exactly like, the jacket that the blazer that the honored members get um, who get inducted into the hall of fame the only difference is on the embroidered crest and below it says media honoree or whatever and the other one says you know honored member um and and that but you know and, and i and i you know a lot of my colleagues wear that jacket proudly as they should um when they go to hall of fame functions or whatever and that but i always kind of and, and, and i'm not criticizing them for wearing it myself i just felt weird putting that jacket on. i wore it one time the day that they give it to you and they say put it on i put it on and i've never had it on since then it's just hanging in a closet um and i i just feel funny about wearing it because it looks too much like the jacket that national hockey league players who've had hall of fame careers wear and i mean i'm just a guy who worked in media so um but as i say the recognition is nice looks good on a resume um, it, it's always nice to be honored or recognized for your work, but the reason I did the job was just to do the job.
So it, it's funny how you say I was just a guy in media because that brings me back to like whenever when I interned um, at a job uh, in media with uh, with the Toronto Sun, or sorry, not the Toronto Sun, it was QMI Media, I believe it was while right, yeah. in advertising. Um, I had said to someone, you know, I'm, I'm just an intern, but I want to learn more. And, and my boss had said, never say that you're just an intern because you're more than that. You're, you're a member of our team, right? So, so always, uh, obviously you have more experience than I ever will right now, but always never say to yourself, I was just a sports guy. Cause, uh, yeah, there you go. again, you're, you're one of the great TSM broadcasters, uh, over the years. So, um, well, thank you. And talking about the Hall of Fame, you were actually inducted into the same year as a uh, buddy of mine, Peter McKellar, who was the captain of the Whippy Dunlops for a number of years. Right. Because uh, I work with the Dunlops. I, I do all their media management for like Facebook and Twitter and all that. So I've got to know Pete over the years. And um, it was really kind of cool just to see him going in as the same year as you. So, um, yeah. Um, so another accomplishment outside of the awards and, and the recognition is uh, working with the Special Olympics Canada and being a member of the Champions Network. I wanted to find out from you, what's it like for you to be able to sit on that network, be a member of the Champions Network, and be able to share your stories with Special Olympic athletes uh, like myself and, and different board members as well? Yeah, I think it's great. I, I really am impressed with the whole Special Olympics movement for everything that it done for people like yourself and so many others. Um, and so, you know, you want to try to, to give back to the community as best you can. And, you know, and, and again, you're busy working a lot, but you want to make time for causes that matter. And at TSN, Special Olympics has always been a, a, very, a very big thing. Right from the get-go, um, TSN and Special Olympics was uh, was very much uh, work hand in glove together. And so when I was asked, uh, however many years ago, five, 10 years ago, um, to come to the, the, the gala and, and to be a part of it, I thought it was a great opportunity to sponsor athletes and, uh, and be involved. And then obviously the outgrowth of that is the Champions Network and, and using our social media. I've got 1.6 million Twitter followers um, you know, almost uh, 40,000 on Instagram. And so I always like to say, uh, especially with social media, because it's a kind of a mixed bag of, of uh, it's a wonderful tool. It can also be a pretty toxic environment, depending on how things go. But I always joke and say it's always good to use social media for purposes of good, not evil. So um, if I can, you know, help, help promote um, and assist Special Olympics and other charitable endeavors uh, and community-minded endeavors um, with the power of my, my social media network, then that's easy for me to do and it's a win-win. Uh, so yeah, so it's been a really fulfilling uh, thing. Obviously with the pandemic, uh, you know, we haven't had the gala, um, which is unfortunate, but because uh, it was always a great, great night. And uh, and uh, you know to get it there and see uh, Rod Rod Black and Jennifer Hedger hosted and have so much fun with so many great people, um, it was a, it was terrific. That's great, and yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite events to go to. 
um, besides like the that gala, they, there's another company called Motion Ball that's involved with the Special Olympics, and they run a gala in February. So it's kind of like you get one gala, take a little bit of break, get another gala. It's always a, a blast around that time of year. And uh, yeah, hopefully with the uh, pandemic uh, and with vaccines starting to roll out and everything, uh, hopefully we'll get some sort of gala maybe in the fall. If not, looks like maybe next year uh, we'll be back into it. So um, we'll have to see, but it'll be uh, great to catch up with you in person again um, at that time. Um, now, I just have a few more questions for you. Sure. Uh, so in July slash August of last year, or August 10th, as you said earlier, you announced that you were going into semi-retirement. While you're still reporting on some NHL draft rankings and doing world junior coverage, um, the landscape of TSN won't be the same. It just won't be. You've been around for so long. Everyone in every household in Canada and the U.S. really knows, knows your name and, and has seen you work. What's it like for you to start to walk away from the coverage of sports um, and your time with TSN? Well, uh, you know, I like it. <laughs> I like the ability to walk away, but not walk away entirely. Um, I'm 64 years old. I'll be 65 this summer. Um, my, my, my tenure contract with TSN expired um, last fall. And, you know, I just felt like, it was time to get out of the day-to-day -day grind. I didn't, I didn't want to completely shut it down and just walk away from everything. Um, but I didn't want it to be as all-consuming as, as it had become. And that whole job of being, you know, quote-unquote, the hockey insider, um, it, it is all-consuming. And uh, especially now with social media where it's created this 24-7 environment where the news cycle never really stops and you're responsible or reporting on it so you need to be busy a lot of the time and I just knew it was time for me to take a step back and uh, spend more time with my family I'm a grandfather now um, you know my wife Cindy and my kids Mike and Sean and now my grandkids uh, you know there were a lot of sacrifices made over a lot of decades where you couldn't be at family functions or you know going to the world juniors every year at Christmas uh, you can't count how many Christmases I wasn't around for and things like that. Now, the funny thing is I'm still doing the World Juniors, and so Christmas is not a guaranteed thing in our household, for me anyways. But um, just overall, I just needed to take a step back and uh, was quite happy to do that. Um, but also still to be able to cover the World Juniors, to be able to do my draft rankings, to come back in for trade deadline day, which is on April 12th this year, to, to do free agent frenzy, to do a handful of Leaf games. Um, keeps me somewhat busy, but not too busy. And it's, uh, it allows me to, to go to Florida in the winter and to, uh, uh, to have a much more enjoyable time, uh, you know, my pontoon boat and sit on the dock and have a glass of red wine and put your feet up in May when you normally wouldn't be able to do that. Now, what was it like for you during this previous World Juniors? Obviously, it was in a bubble. Um, but to have, uh, I just remember watching some of the pregame interviews and how they were, like, teleported up beside yeah. you. And James Duffy just, like, thinks it's the coolest thing. You're just like, what the hell is going on over here? Yeah, it really is great technology. And it's funny because it kind of blew everybody away at home. You know, we get this crazy reaction. Oh, it was like Star Trek. They beamed them up and it was fantastic. And my favorite response to that was some guy in Sweden um, tweeted at us because everybody was going on about 
this unbelievable technology and it really is and it really was cool um but but some fan in sweden or somebody in sweden um attached a, a, a clip tagged me and he attached a clip from about like four or five years ago and the swedes were doing the exact same thing like the exact same technology it looked identical in terms of what they were doing and it just made me laugh because we're all like whoa cutting edge look at all this stuff and and some swedish guys going yeah we did that five years ago buzz off which which i thought was really funny but um because it appealed to my warped sense of humor um but it, it was cool and uh the, the problem is for me we do rehearsals as to where to look and sometimes over time i'd kind of get askew and i was looking at the wrong place and people on twitter would be saying to me you're not looking at the guy you're looking past him and you, know, you have to readjust your focus so it was always good to get uh, reminders of that. That's always fun. It's it's yeah. The technology nowadays is insane, so it's always fun to see all the all the creative ways of uh, getting people in there. Um, we have one more faint question that comes in, say asking that now that you're in semi retirement, do you plan on teaching people how to skate again? Because you actually a number of years ago you taught my buddy Josh how to skate, um, and he was like, ask him if he's going to teach people how to skate again. That's funny. Where was that? Uh, I believe in Whippy. Yeah. So okay. So hmm, I'm wondering, wondering. We could have been in Whippy. Could have been in Pickering. Um, the uh, I used to when my son Mike was just starting out. There was you had to go like a Pickering hockey school before you actually got in the house league, and uh, used to teach a lot of kids to be on the ice and and do that. So I don't know. I haven't been on. I'm not on skates very often, to be honest with you. I, I should pull my skates out. Um, I, haven't put, I haven't wore a pair of skates oh, for 10, 15 years, I bet. It's uh, probably been that long. But I did love coaching the kids. And, uh, and uh, when they were young, getting into uh, a situation where, like with your pal Josh, try and teach them how to skate. Mostly teach them first how to stand up to, to skate. You know, you, it's a pretty easy way to use your your knee and to, to get up and what have you so but that was that's cool i'm i'm glad that uh, I, ho I hope i did a good job with josh uh, yeah he he does uh he plays like um adult, like the ashl and um and that stuff so yeah cool. uh, yeah um so a lot of individuals have mentors in their lives was there someone in your life that you were able to reach out to throughout your years to get experience and gain some knowledge as you worked your way through sport yeah, you know what? I get that question a lot, and I wouldn't want to say there were no mentors because I always had role models. Um, when I was a kid growing up in in Toronto, I'd read the Toronto Star, the Toronto Telegram, Toronto Globe and Mail, and so Frank Orr and Red Burnett and Milt Dunnell and Jim Proudfoot and um, at the um, at the Globe and Mail, um, you know Rex McLeod and. Uh, uh, Scott Young, Neil Young's father, and Jim Coleman, and on and on it goes. There were so many people in the media that I was impressed by, and even at a young age, so maybe that was a hint that I wanted to do their job one day. Um, I, I can't identify one person who I would go to for advice or somebody who kind of took me under their wing and the whole way along, um, but lots of different stops along the way, a lot of different people helped me out. And um, it's funny, I mentioned this a lot, but um, John Herbert was a reporter at the London Free Press. And when I was a junior hockey reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, 
Herbie, as we called him, was the was a great junior hockey reporter. In fact, he's the guy that gave Wayne Gretzky the nickname, the Great Gretzky. And um, and Herbie was a guy. That's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be John Herbert because he was the best junior hockey writer in in Ontario, and that's what I wanted to be. And so that was probably the first time that I thought of somebody and said, I I want to really outside of being a kid reading the the Star of the Globe or the Telegram. Um, to be like Frank Orr or Red Burnett or those guys, but that was the one, and, and to get to know him and then uh, and what have you. So he he would have been the first one, but as I said, there were many stops along the way. When I was at the Sioux Star, Bill Crawford and Alex Mitchell were two guys that were uh, that were tremendous with me, and then on and on it goes. Every stop along the way, there's been somebody at that company that I'm working for that has been really important to me in terms of um, being a mentor. That's fantastic. And now I like to end off every uh, chat that I do with my guests with a segment called Words of Wisdom. So from going from mentors that you were looking at to giving advice to the next generation of sport broadcasters or people that want to kind of make a name for for themselves, what would your mentorship advice or your words of wisdom be for that next generation? Yeah, I get this a lot. And if you're in the communications business, whether it's print, digital, radio, broadcast, whatever the case may be. One of the things that I wish I had done and I didn't do it and I'm kind of sad about it now is is to keep a journal or to to keep track of the things that you do. Um, And, uh, you know, if I wanted to do a career retrospective, it would be really difficult to do now because I'm doing so much of it from memory. Um, but if you, you know, if you're in the media business, maybe the, the, the writing, the first writing you should be doing would be just a daily or weekly journal that kind of reflects a little bit on all the things you did that week and your perspective of them at the time. So that all those years later, if you wanted to, you could go back. And I think they're also instructive in terms of teaching you some of the experiences you've had and also coming to terms with how you feel about things. Um, which is important. And, and so that would be my recommendation to anybody in the, in the business is to really chronicle what you do on a daily or weekly basis and, and have that as, as a testament to everything that you've ever done. And that if you ever do need to go back, um, you, you can draw on that. I think it would be a really valuable, uh, valuable tool. Awesome. Well, Bob Smoker, the Bob Father, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your experiences uh, through sport. And uh, congratulations on summary retirement again. Um, obviously, you're, you're still around, and we we look forward to seeing what work you uh, do with the next set, like World Juniors, and with the uh, trade deadlines uh, coming up and everything. Um, yeah, keep up the great work, and thank you again for taking the time to be on the show. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, Ryan. Really appreciate it and uh, love to do it again sometime. Awesome.
Cause this town ain't fair They'll put you down and leave you there Don't make them scared